You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast helping water leaders to discover solutions and drive change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This is episode number 160, Hold the Salt. In an increasingly thirsty world, there is much potential in desalination, the process of removing salt from seawater. But desalination has historically posed challenges. It consumes massive amounts of expensive energy, produces a waste called brine, and raises concerns about impacts on aquatic life. So how is desalination becoming more of an option for the creation of fresh water? That question is answered in this episode with Peter Fisk, Executive Director of the National Alliance for Water Innovation and Director of the Water Energy Resilience Research Institute. Peter explains how desalination is becoming more efficient and effective through innovation in membranes, technologies for handling brine, and extraction of valuable elements. He also talks about upcoming pilot projects, the role of desalination in addressing Western water scarcity, and international collaboration. Now to the conversation. Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop, here with Peter Fisk. He is director of the Water Energy Resilience Research Institute at Lawrence Berkeley Lab, uh, and also executive director of the National Alliance for Water Innovation. So uh, desalination, a uh, huge yeah. topic, a lot of things to talk about here. But let's just kind of set the baseline for people. Uh, what is desalination? How does it work? Sure. Well, desalination, strictly speaking, Travis, is the process of separating salt from water so that you can make pure water, drinkable water out of something that's not drinkable or not usable. Mm. And, you know, we've had desalination as a technology for thousands of years. The Phoenicians sailed across uh, the Mediterranean with pots of, uh, you know, they would actually make uh, desalination by boiling the seawater and then collecting the steam. So we've had desalination in human history for thousands of years. And it has traditionally been uh, a process of, of making steam and then condensing the steam. Mm. About 60 years ago, uh, a pair of immigrant graduate students at UCLA were working on a new process, making an ultra-thin membrane. And they were able to make a membrane that could let water go through but would hold back the salt. And so when you squeeze on that water, you create this pressure that allows fresh water to kind of be squeezed through and then the salty water remains behind. And that was called reverse osmosis. That was created in about 1960. And that is now the dominant desalination technology today. So all the major desalination plants you see around the world use thousands and thousands of square feet of these membranes and they squeeze, they pressurize the water to high pressure and squeeze fresh water out. Um, and and uh, we at uh, the National Alliance for Water Innovation, this is the U.S. Department of Energy's five-year, $110 million research investment in desalination. We're working on advancing the technology of reverse osmosis, as well as looking at some other really exciting other ways of separating salt from water. Mm, awesome. And I think it's important to note, you know, people use this not just to pull water from the ocean, but also pulling water from aquifers, right? Like to, to right. kind of address that salinity issues there. What That's have right. 
What have been the historic challenges for desalination? People, you know, the the public might be like, hey, why don't we just build all these plants everywhere? And, right, and- just make desalinated water out of, because we all had all this ocean water, so make <laughs> desal for everybody. Right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But why, why, what have been the challenges with, with the uptake, expansion, use of desalination? Yeah, well, for starters, um, desalination is uh, desalinating seawater takes a lot of energy because seawater is very salty. Seawater has about three and a half percent salt in it. And just the chemical energy necessary to separate all that salt from that water just requires a lot of energy. So traditionally, one of the major concerns about desalination is that it requires a lot of energy. Now, as you pointed out, that's because most of the desalination done in the, in the world is done on ocean water, which is pretty salty. One of the key areas that we're finding is that there's a lot of other salty water around that's not nearly as salty as seawater, but we, we um, haven't been using it uh, because it's too salty. So there are other places where we can find water that might be more uh, energy efficient in terms of uh, desalination. So you mentioned groundwater. There's a, a term we call in, in, the, in the water industry called brackish groundwater. And brackish groundwater is water that is not not uh, nearly as salty as seawater, but it's definitely too salty to use. Like if you, if you pumped out brackish groundwater in the Central Valley of California or in Wyoming and you started watering crops with it, you'd kill the crops mm. because there's too much salt. But it's got a lot less salt than seawater. So that's one place where you know, uh, desalination has, has had struggles in that it's traditionally used a lot of energy for seawater. Mm. The other concern is when you make desalination, when you do desalination, of course, you create two products. You create drinking water on one side, but you make an even saltier uh, liquid on the other, and that's called brine. If you're by the ocean, it's pretty easy. You can basically take that brine and mix it with a lot of seawater, or you can mix it with wastewater from a nearby water treatment plant, and you can kind of equalize the salt, and you can get that brine back into the ocean where where it's perfectly safe. When you go inland, you no longer have an ocean as an easy like disposal option. So one of the key challenges for inland brackish desalination is what do I do with all this brine that's left over? <laughs> and it can be really expensive. In some cases, some people have to literally truck, truck after truck after truck of salty water to some place where they can dispose it. And so that's always been a key challenge is what do I do with the brine? Mm. Now, um, a lot of environmental um, uh, uh, you know, organizations have always been very concerned about desalination, concerned that desalination systems sitting on the coast are going to suck in all this seawater and kill these you know, fish, and then it's going to squirt out all this brine that's going to harm the fish further. Um, and it turns out that you, know, you can actually design desalination plants by the ocean today that are absolutely safe. And so... Um, the environmental concerns are probably legacy of some past plants and how they were designed, but the current desalination technologies are actually quite safe for sea life. And, um, but it remains expensive because seawater is salty. Hmm. And that, and you know, you talk about the energy involved. That's where it's a cost issue, right? It's right. You, you have to pay for energy, pay for power. Uh, and so right. there's a big cost there. Um, so, uh, from my viewpoint, I feel like I've seen a lot of news about 
desalination changing in the past few years or progress yeah. being made, advancement maybe yeah. in mem membranes or whatever it might be. What's been yeah. what's been happening, uh, and what's happening now to make desalination more viable? Sure. Well, well, I would say three things have been going on. First, um, the baseline desalination technology, the membranes that we have today, are just getting better and better and better. It's like Moore's law, but for membranes. Yeah. Uh, membranes get uh, more inexpensive and they get higher performing. So that's that's a great trend. The second trend is that we see that there are um, emerging technologies that could really solve what we call the brine problem. So there are, you know, traditional technologies, as I said, for dealing with salty water was to boil it. And traditional technologies for dealing with the brine was, again, to essentially boil it. And that takes an enormous amount of energy. So getting rid of the brine um, in the past was really a, a, an economically limiting thing. Today, there's some really interesting emerging technologies. Some are using membranes. Some are using a process called electrodialysis, which is like using the same processes that your kidneys do, but instead you use electric fields to pull the ions out of the water. And then there are other interesting technologies involving um, other liquids that will pull the water molecules away from the brine. So there are some really interesting emerging technologies to make brine concentration and brine crystallization a lot cheaper. <laughs> the final really interesting trend in desalination is actually not about the water. It's about the other stuff. So um, as you know, water is the universal solvent. So there is a lot of dissolved salts and metals and even nutrients and organics in water. And if you could pull those away, some of those are enormously valuable. For example, lithium is uh, cr a critical material for batteries and for electric vehicles. And there is an abundance of lithium in some salty waters, both naturally occurring waters and in some wastewaters. And so it's possible that the future desalination will not just involve new technologies, but also involve making more than one product. So not just the water, but also the other chemicals that you pulled out of the water. Mm. Uh, back to the first point about the improvement of the membranes. Uh, part of the benefit there is that it reduces the energy involved in desalination and then reduces the cost, which has been one of the big barriers. That's right. That's okay. right. And, and, and the irony is, Travis, is that today's desalination plants are actually some of the most energy efficient <laughs> Um, chemical processes known to man. I mean, literally, today's plants like the Carlsbad plant uh, in uh, San Diego County, um, it is removing all that salt from that water at very close to the thermodynamic limit of separating salt from water. The problem is it's still a lot of energy. You just have to overcome a lot of thermodynamic energy to simply move that salt away from the water. And so that's why, even though it's efficient, it still uses a lot of um, electricity. Hmm. Uh, I'm really curious to hear about uh, your what's going on both at the National Alliance for Water Innovation and then at your specific institute there at the Lawrence Berkeley Lab. You know yeah. what's kind of what's kind of you've you've probably got a lot of different research projects underway. But yeah, could you talk about just the focus of your oh, yeah. work and what you all are trying to achieve? Yeah, yeah. So so first of all. Um, the, the consortium that I run uh, called NAWI is the National Alliance for Water Innovation, and it's national. It is a national consortium of researchers from academia, from other national laboratories, and from industry. 
And what we've done is we set out a five-year and a 10-year roadmap for radically reducing the cost and energy of desalination. And so we bring together research teams. We call forth projects. You know, we ask for project proposals in certain key areas of technology. We get hundreds of fabulous ideas. We we sort through all those ideas for the very best ideas and the very best teams. And then we give those teams uh, funding and let them let them rip. And they go and they start making really great progress. Um, this has not been a typical thing that the water industry has had access to. You know, it's, it's kind of funny, Travis. In, in the past, like in the 50s and 60s, water was a really big deal. And you had a lot of research at universities advancing water treatment technologies. And then in the 70s and 80s and 90s, we, did, we just saw the federal government really back off on its investment in advancing water treatment. And so as a result, we've got a lot of great you know, technologies today in water treatment, but these are technologies that were invented in the 60s and 70s. So we haven't seen a lot of advancement. Um, and our job is to essentially move the frontier forward. And so we are, as, I, as you know, uh, we talked about earlier, we do research on novel membranes. We do research on novel processes for uh, you know, different ways of separating salt from water. And then the third area that we're spending a lot of, of uh, investment and time on is automation and making these systems small, compact, reliable, and auto autonomous. Because, you know, eventually, you know, our, a lot of our water treatment facilities today are very large systems. They're custom built. They take years and years and years to build. And in a future, we cannot rely on that like large scale system alone. We need to think about smaller scale systems that can be manufactured and deployed quickly. And so that's a real key focus of us, of, of our program is how do we make water treatment and desalination that's small and in a package that can be rushed out when it's needed. Think of it almost, Travis, like um, I want to invent the water washing machine. I mm. want to have a set of technologies where you can bring in dirty water on one end, put it into the water washing machine, and then clean clean water will, will come out the other end. Yeah, is that the is that the distributed desalination in a way? I saw that I saw that term. Uh, out That's there. right. So yeah. so um, the the concept of distributed water treatment again is not new, but I think people haven't appreciated its power. As I said, that our traditional water um, infrastructure is largely centralized treatment plants, big distribution infrastructure, lots of pipes in the ground, etc. And you know, there's a lot of things that are challenging that model. For starters, that model relies on fresh water. And mm. so, for example, in California, the city of San Francisco's drinking water actually comes from the Sierra Nevada, like 150 miles away, and they bring it all this way to San Francisco, all right? Then we have these large centralized treatment plants, and then we have to push that drinking water out through thousands of miles of pipes, and then we have to gather up all this wastewater through thousands of miles of other pipes, put more energy in, and then throw it away. So it's a real shame because it turns out that, you know, as you know, Travis, water is heavy, and we live on a planet with gravity. And so if you are moving all this water around, you're using a lot of energy. If instead you had small-scale systems, an apartment building or even a house could actually receive water and reprocess it and use it in multiple different applications in the home. So it could start as drinking water. That could then be cleaned up a little bit to flush your toilets and irrigate your lawn. 
And so one of the concepts that we have is that in the future, we're going to have a, a hybrid system. We're going to still have centralized desalination, centralized treatment, but we're also going to have small-scale distributed systems that are continually reprocessing water locally. And when you reprocess water locally, you don't have to move it around. So you save all the energy of moving that water around. Mm. And, uh, you know, ideally, the most, the most energy-efficient way to move water, Travis, is don't move it. You know, <laughs> use it over and over again right where you have it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one of the things we, we chatted about uh, when we were uh, talking in, in New Orleans uh, was about some pilot programs, kind of this effort right. you have going on, uh, little little accelerator or whatever. What's what's happening on that front? That's super exciting. So we've, we've been at this for three and a half years, and so we've got a really interesting stable of, of new technologies. And the step now that we're embarking on is, is doing piloting uh, of some of these technologies integrated into entire water treatment systems. So our program, we just... Um, we had a call for proposals and we ended up with some great concept papers and we down selected to a group that we got full proposals for. And we're reviewing those full proposals now. And Travis, it is really interesting. We have some teams that want to build um, trailers, trailer based treatment systems that you literally will roll around and go to say a, a wastewater treatment plant and literally flange up from the finished wastewater and produce drinking water at the other side. We have other um, piloting teams that want to work on produced water. This is water from the oil and gas production. Uh, and they want to be able to pull out all the oil, all the metals and other pollutants, and then maybe even pull out a lot of the salt and allow that water to be reused or even discharged safely back to the environment. We have um, some really interesting uh, research on essentially what we call 100% water recovery or zero liquid discharge. So these are desalination technologies that literally squeeze every last drop of water out of that brine and leave behind essentially a, a dry like a Ziploc bag full of salt. Salt. <laughs> and so, those, yeah, so those technologies are really interesting because especially in the inland environments, you know, for starters, if you can squeeze out every last drop of water, first of all, the volume of waste goes down by a factor of 10. And then secondly, instead of dealing with a concentrated brine, which is corrosive, which you need like a stainless steel tanker truck to remove, instead you have a heap of dry salts, which you can put in a hopper truck with a tarp and safely dispose mm. of that. So the costs really, really um, drop when you can get to what we call ZLD or zero liquid discharge technology. So these are examples of systems and they'll be trialed at small communities um, at uh, operating facilities like a greenhouses and in the oil and gas sector, we will be well, likely piloting these actually in the oil field. Mm. So it's a very diverse group of environments to do this piloting, but that's kind of our point at Naui is that there's all this salty water lying around that nobody is able to use. And we want to be able to help people use it over and over again. Yeah. So test, test these technologies and these, and see what sticks, see what works, and then hopefully see That's some right. of these things get out there and be used as real world solutions. Right. That's right. Um, That's right. couple, couple other, uh, somewhat random questions, but connected to this, uh, obviously there's this massive water scarcity issue out, out West California, where yeah. you are all throughout the Colorado river basin, aridification yeah. driven by climate change. We're not even going to call it drought, right? Let's be real about right. what's happening. Um, so 
is there a big push to like scale up desalination or like what's going on with that that piece uh, you know in terms of what's happening out there yeah yeah well let's let's talk about california in particular so our governor gavin newsom just published a water supply action plan so it's common especially in the west you know travis for there to be a lot of like you know uh like pearl clutching and like (laughs) oh oh, oh, what are we going to do and so the newsom administration said okay Here's what we're going to do. And they lay out all the sort of elements to a secure and reliable water strategy for California. So one of the key pillars of that is desalination. So the governor's plan does specify how much new desalination we're going to need in California. Hmm. Um, It also specifies a lot of other stuff besides desalination. Like, for example, we could do a much better job of capturing the stormwater that comes in our rainfall in California and let slow it down, let it soak into the ground and recharge our aquifers. That's a big you know, part of the plan. Um, and then there's just general areas of water conservation and water reuse. As I said before, we throw away a lot of water in America and desalination is one of those tools that allows you to reuse that water over and over again. So all those are kind of are, are pillars in in California's strategy, and other you know water stress states have different strategies. Some are, I would say, more um, uh, thought out than others. So, mm. for example, um, in Arizona, back in January, the governor of Arizona proposed that they were going to build a desal plant at the Sea of Cortez, and then pipe that water up and over the mountains and bring it all the way into Phoenix. Mm. Well, it's, it sounded good, um, but if you look at the energy associated with that, it's not just the energy of the desalination, but it would actually take four times as much energy as the desalination step simply to move that water up and over the mountains into the city of Phoenix. And, and that's the sad thing is that sometimes politicians like to talk about desalination as a silver bullet, like, oh, mm. we just need to build a big desal plant. The fact is that water is heavy. And you're not going to be able to efficiently move it from the coast where it is very far inland. And so rather than kind of have this fantasy that you're going to build these big water factories on the coast, think more about distributed reuse and make water where you have it and reuse it as much as possible. Yeah, love it. Uh, I'm also curious, desalination is huge in the mid, throughout the Middle East, right, where they are in the desert. The dominant yeah. Dominant water supply. Dominant water supply. How much do you all, you know, Department of Energy, your different labs, uh, the universities kind of collaborate, coordinate, learn from, you know, partner with, uh, you know, companies, institutions, countries in that part of the world? So, so our major uh, international collaborators have typically been Singapore, Australia, and Israel. And uh, as you probably know, Israel, uh, more than 60% of its total water supply comes from desalination. Um, And in the Middle East, there are some very, very large desalination facilities and even plans for making even bigger desalination facilities. But we're just working on some of those relationships now. Um, And so we hope to both be able to, to learn from the scale up of some of these large facilities in the Middle East, as well as to contribute um, innovations that help them lower the cost and energy of desalination because it's in everybody's interest 
to have desalination be as economical and cost efficient and low carbon as possible. Mm. And ideally, you know, desalination would be entirely run with renewable energy and so would be carbon neutral. Yeah. Last last thing is uh, I need your advice a little bit here. My uh, my eleven year old sixth grader came home a couple weeks ago and announced for the science fair that he wanted to do a solar desalination experiment. Wonderful um, project. Yeah, and so I did a little googling and I found pretty simple setup like a big clear container, yep. saran wrap almost on the top, a little mm -hmm. tube going to another container, yep. and put it out in the sun and you know. We have we have the ocean right here. Put some salt water yeah. in there and see what happens. Basically, will that yeah. will that work? Yeah, it's called a solar still. Okay, like distillation. So a solar still, and they're great projects. It's a perfect middle school or high school science project okay. uh, for middle school students. Just being able to show how much water you can produce as a function of sunlight is a very interesting experiment. Hmm. When you get into high school, some of the things students might be interested in is analyzing the salts. So after you have dried out the, the salt, you end up with this crust of, of salt. You can actually take, um, you can take that salt on the end of a burning stick and go to your stove. <laughs> Parents watching, yes. And you can put the salt into the flame and you can actually see different colors. And that gives, that gives high school students the idea that, you know, you can analyze for chemicals by looking at the light that they emit when, when they're um, excited with flame. Wow. So that's a nice, yeah. So you, so you could see the yellow of sodium and, you know, uh, do you know, um, Travis, the, the, um, the fire sprinkles that you can buy right. at Christmas time that have different colors. Those are different salts. So potassium, potassium chloride makes a nice red color and strontium, I guess maybe strontium makes a red color. Anyway, so the different elements can be visible with the flame. It's called flame hmm. photometry. Well, and I thought it can be a nice way for kids to, to learn about that. I was always worried that those little packs for like campfires and stuff were just like full of crazy chemicals, but that's interesting that it's, you yeah, know, I would actually say, yeah, it includes copper. That's the green is the copper. So okay. no, we, okay. we probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the wrinkle that I think we were talking about trying was to make like three of these little, little setups and, mm -hmm. uh, put like all black under one and all white under another and see if that, you know, with the sunlight and stuff, how that might affect the, you know, the desalination. The absorption, the absorption of light and the rate at which you could, uh, you could uh, desalinate. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Cool. Idea. Well, maybe he'll be coming, uh, asking for an internship there at the, at the Lawrence Berkeley lab in, in another seven go. or eight years. So yeah. Peter, awesome stuff. Thank you for uh, so much good information about desal. Look forward to following these pilots and seeing the cool stuff coming out of it there. Yeah, you bet. And anybody who's interested in our program, the website is www.nowihub.com. Dot org. So one word, N-A-W-I-H-U-B, nowihub.org. You can go on there. We have videos. Uh, we have all of our research projects featured in little one-pagers that anybody can download and review. And um, we have our annual meetings uh, in the fall, actually next week, uh, uh, November 1st and 2nd. Uh, and then we also have a spring meeting. And membership in the Nowi Alliance is free. Ah. There, that's a yeah. good incentive. Yeah, great deal. Yeah. Peter, thank you so much. My pleasure, Travis. Great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop.
Waterloo, Waterloo.